good. I thought it'd be appropriate this morning uh, for us to talk shop. I mean, preacher shop. This is, uh, after all, a passage about church. So I want to bring you into my world uh, where I know that when you stand up here, you better not be doing eisegesis. That is a, a term that means you better not be looking at a passage and putting into the passage what is not there. We are committed to exegesis. We are committed to studying the passage and bringing out of it, exa, out of it, what is there. It's important that you understand that because what is so common today is not even really eisegesis, but narcegesis. And that is the idea that you don't just put something into the text, but you are obsessed. Churches and Christians are obsessed with putting you in the text. It's narcissistic. And so when we preach Goliath, we talk about your struggles. Or when, when uh, you're in the passage about Lazarus, all of a sudden it becomes about your dreams that need to be resurrected. And that fits very well in this culture because church can be just about you if the whole world and your perspective is all about you. And so can God, when you come to church and, and, and in the name of worshiping Him, He can be there to serve you and your interests and what you want to feel. Everyone knows this, that, that the churches that grow the fastest are the ones that cater to people. That cater to the felt needs and the taste buds of people who, let's be honest, we know are naturally self-centered. And so you get on the inside of certain churches and they won't talk about a worship service. They'll talk about a worship experience. That's what's key. How do we manufacture and design the experience they're looking for. Let's think about the lighting. Let's even think about the smells in the room. Let's have upbeat music. Let's make sure the messages are positive. We are looking for authentic community and we will offer you a menu of ministries to suit your every desire. Now, in light of that, I wonder if you noticed that we took a turn this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes. By that, I don't just mean that we take a turn away from that kind of mentality, but also a turn from what we've even been considering in this book. Let me draw your attention to two important changes in in the book. First of all, in our passage uniquely is this emphasis on God. I wonder if you heard him referred to seven times. And in in this book, that that feels very different because in this book, we've been mainly focused on life under the sun, which is life without consideration of God. So when we have this concentration of God talk, we need to pay attention. Something different is happening. The second thing that is unique is that this passage is filled with commands. So you understand that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, we've heard the preacher Reveal to us his observations. We've read over and over. I have seen this. I have observed this. But look in our passage. We are commanded. 
It's as if he's taken all of his observations and here he gives us his conclusions. First of all, in verse one, listen to his conclusion. When you come near to God, you better watch your step. And then verse four, when you promise something, if you're promising something to God, you better follow through fast. What we have in our passage is the opposite of what today is so popular in its wisdom of how to get people to God. Here we hear, you better not deal with the one who is above the sun in the same ways you deal with everyone else throughout the week. And it feels sober. We should feel sobered by this text. What's true in the Hebrew is true in the ESV. The first word is guard. And the last word is fear. Guard your mouth as you move toward God. That's the sermon in a sentence. Guard your mouth as you move toward God. And the passage divides into two sections. The the, the main commands in verse 1 and 4 are how they divide. So verses 1 through 3, point number 1 is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. The preacher steps behind the pulpit of Israel and he's telling the people of God how it is we are to avoid stumbling, how it is we are to remain safe. Notice when he says, Guard your steps as you come to God. He's not talking, I think, about the temple having some treacherous steps you have to walk up. He's not saying you better be careful or else you'll step into something. No, he is talking about guarding our steps as we draw near because when we're stepping near, we're stepping near to God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that that what they are doing is evil. The preacher is comparing one who is silently listening to the one who is still in the congregation, but he is sacrificing, notice, in ignorance. This is what folly is. This is what it means to be a fool. It is to sin against God when you are worshiping because your sacrifice or what you are bringing to God, what you are offering God in worship, what how you are trying to serve God when you are gathered together with the saints, When that thing that you're offering conflicts with what God has said, guard your your steps. How do you do that? It's really simple. Cover your mouth. Verse 2, you can commit evil Even if you're among the few who gather for worship, you can commit evil when you are worshiping if you speak rashly. 
if you speak hastily. It's a sin to speak when you should be silent. Silence is essential to worship because we worship first and foremost by listening to God. Look how he explains it at the end of verse 2. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. This is what the preacher wants you to, to, to think about when you, when it crosses your mind. Why can't I see God? Why can't I see him right now? He wants that to convince you, you better listen if you can't see. Because you know, it wasn't always the case that the preacher could say, you are on earth, God is in heaven, God was in Eden. Until Adam and Eve stopped listening. God said, listen to me, don't eat of this fruit. They didn't listen and he left. And for the people of Israel, whenever, whenever God returned to earth from heaven and he fell on Mount Sinai, Israel was to stand a far way off or else they were going to die. And they were just to stand there and listen. Do not make for yourself any graven image. And not long after that, they made for themselves the golden The simple fact, verse 2, that God is in heaven and you are on earth is supposed to convince us that we need to listen. We are separated from God physically because we would not listen to God. And you say, well, this is an Old Testament thing and this Old Testament realities. Is that really something true for Christians? Well, listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. See that you, Christian, do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they, the people at Sinai in Moses' day, did not escape when they refused him who was warning them on earth. Don't make idols. They didn't escape. He wiped them out. Much less will we, you and me, escape if we reject him who is speaking to us, warning us from heaven. This passage makes sense to the Jew because whenever they did go to the house of God, the temple in Jerusalem, whenever they did make sacrifices, they were always supposed to make that incomplete silence. They were totally sober. They were filled with fear because they really understood, I'm in the presence of God. This is what we're trying to trying to communicate to you why we begin and end every service in silence. It is not the time for you to last minute remind yourself what to do this afternoon. It is to communicate what the people of God always understood. When we come into the presence of God, we've come where we in a place that is unlike anywhere else we've gone. We need to transition silently before the Almighty. This passage is also why the sermon 
is the high point of our worship. It's not the singing. It's not the praying even. It is primarily hearing about God. It is primarily hearing from God, which is what happens when preaching the Bible happens. Because we believe God has more to offer to us than we do to Him. So you should serve Him, first of all, by listening to Him. Beloved, I want to encourage you this morning to step toward God's house differently than you step toward anywhere else under the sun. Because when we come to the house of God, On earth, we are hearing from the one who lives in heaven. This is one reason why we're trying to train our children. We've got such a great opportunity. And this season where all the kids are here, we're trying to train our children that when we come for worship, they need to resist every single impulse that's natural to all of us to draw attention to themselves. Why? Because what we're doing here is not about you or me. So that impulse in a child to draw attention away from what's happening here to them, to draw their siblings and their parents to them, we just want to train them not to do that. And that's true no matter how old you are. Step toward the house and you come near to God. And so the preacher says, you best be on your guard because there's something real happening. Friends, I want, I want you to hear that in this day when the world encourages everyone to value what everyone else has to say. We are encouraged to value our world, words in this social media world. Everyone has to be heard. What do I think about this? Let me post it out there because they need to hear what I think. Everyone thinks that's that this is the world where you just vent whatever you think. Every thought we have has to be published. Verse 3. Just like a busy and active day will lead you probably to a full night's rest and many dreams. Solomon says, so also whenever you speak many words, just understand that it's what everyone else is hearing whenever you are multiplying your words is a fool's voice. You're saying godless things. You're denying God. Beware your desire to be heard. Especially in the church. That's why James says not many of you should be teachers. There's a lot of controversy, emotions, excitement about face masks or not. It's really confusing because Dr. Face Mask, we saw the pictures all this week, how he's at the baseball game and he's not wearing a face mask. When, when coronavirus finally was no longer something 
out there in New York City or in the big cities of Texas, but came to Graham, a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, made a gesture to me while I was sitting in the car. You put that mask on. The other day I was uh, at a restaurant and and I was understanding that uh, when you go to a restaurant, you take the mask off. And so I didn't even take the mask out with out of the car with me. Walked up to the restaurant with all of my children, which is a feat. And then I get to the, the door and there's a sign that says you cannot enter without a face mask. So we had to go back and put on the face mask. You're probably even used to this now. You don't leave home without the face mask. Don't leave the car without the face mask. We went inside. Once we got inside, there was no one wearing a face mask. My favorite, um, my favorite saying that I've seen uh, throughout this period uh, is mask it or casket. You better mask it or you're going to be in that casket. Well, uh, the executive order that's uh, kind of on our state makes an exception for people who are gathered for worship. And so we recommend people wear a face mask, but we do not require wearing a face mask. Not that kind. The preacher does say, when you come to church, cover your mouth. Do not spread the germs of your spiritual pride. Whenever you come to worship God, whenever you're going up those steps, whenever you're making your way to to God, it is better that you should be silent and that you should listen. Don't be proud here. Get real. Get real about worship. We're too casual in God's house. And the New Testament says that God's house is whenever, it's not a building, but it's whenever Christians gather together for worship on the Lord's Day. Uniquely, we are the home of God. And we are probably all too thoughtless given where we are. You are entering heaven when you come to church. That's just... Bible. He says, when you go to the house of God in Jerusalem, you are meeting with the God in heaven. And now that's when we gather together as a church. We're entering into a different realm. So I love how the King James puts this in verse one. It says, be more ready to hear. You need to be more ready to hear. Let me ask you, do you have just one ear? thinking about other things? Are you planning things that you're going to do? Let me tell you what God says that sin has done to us. Sin makes everyone quick to speak and slow to hear. Sin is at work in your heart and mind to make us quick to forget. To make us Quick to assume, yeah, I got that. I know him. I know him. They know, they need to know him. But I know him. 
The whole idea here is you don't know what God wants from you until he tells you. Whenever Kelly and I got engaged, we had a long engagement. I was finishing up college in Arlington. She was finishing college in, in Waco. And so I thought she may want to hear my voice whenever she pleases. And so I went to build a bear workshop and I sprung just a few extra bucks for the little recorder that you put in the paw. And I recorded this sweet nothings into the paw so that whenever she missed her Ronnie boy, she could go, uh, she could go to Ronnie Bear and squeeze his palm and hear my voice. Imagine how valuable that would be to the widow whose husband, beloved husband, is no longer here and all she has is this recording. And so she presses it and protects it because that is where she hears his voice. Yes, you should not spend more time on Facebook than you do in your Bibles. You shouldn't. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that. This passage is not about your personal devotion times. And you're going to be quick to go there. That's not what this is about. This is about coming to, leaving your home to come to God's home and hearing sermons. That's why the New Testament, Peter, he says, the word that saved you is not the word you read. It's the word that was preached by others to you. Paul Speaking to Timothy, what is your highest priority as a pastor of a church? You better preach the word. He doesn't say your highest priority is to encourage them and equip them to have their personal quiet times. What is most dangerous about this season, it's most burdensome to me as a preacher, is how normal it will feel to people just not to come to the house. Beloved, I want you to understand what the Bible communicates that is different about gathering together to hear the word preached versus just reading the Bible and that privilege that we have. The Bible says, the apostles say, this is where I hear his voice. This uniquely is where I hear my God speak to me. The house of God in Ecclesiastes is, is this escape hatch. From, from life under the sun. It's where we escape and we, we get wise. It's where we get to know the one that the rest of the world ignores. A sign of maturing as a Christian is not that you understand that you better give lip service to the importance of the Bible, but it is growing in absolute concentration whenever the Bible is preached. So verse 3, the implication of many words of people becoming very foolish. It comes out of people who speak a lot. It comes out of a, a, unfa a lack of faith. The implication is you cannot overhear. You cannot listen too well. God's word is the word that must multiply in your life. Or else you will live vainly and foolishly without fear. Imagine Kelly and I decide to 
moved to Africa. And and it's 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 the day before we we take off and we have dinner together and it's just kind of a farewell we're going to miss each other and 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 you ask us over dinner are you ready to move and and we say you know i mean it's it's going to be hard i feel like god's calling us there i think the ministry is important it's going to be hard to be homesick it's going to be hard to adjust to the culture. We're going to miss the ministry here. And you say, oh, thank you. Um, I'll pray for you in that. That's helpful to me. But I, I meant like literally, do, you, do we need to leave because you have some more packing to do? And, and then we said, well, we, we haven't started packing yet. Is your passport ready? Do we need a passport? Did you get your shots? Is that important? Do you even know how many like crates you can take on the airplane of your stuff? Have you figured any of that out? No. Haven't even thought of it. Well, you would tell us you're not ready to move. What are you doing to obey verse 1? Yes, uh, you, you need to guard your heart from Making, are we going to go or are we not on Sunday morning? You need to guard your heart from making that a decision. You wake up and then you decide. That Yes, that needs to be completely out of your mind. I had a short season of my Christian life. It was the worst season of my Christian life when that kind of thing was happening. I understand. I've been there. you got to get rid of it. You cannot stay there. This is not really talking about that. And that means it's talking to the people who've already decided they're coming. I wonder, are you ready? Are you ready to hear? This is the most important thing on the most important day of every week. Do you strut into Sunday? Are you ready? Have you guarded your Steps. The implication here is that there is routine that is appropriate to, to come into this. And so every week, if you're a member of this church and you're on our little Facebook members only page, you, you get a, a message from me every single week, me asking you, will you pray for the preaching? Will you pray for the hearing, please? I'll tell you, I, I mean it. And, and I'm, and I'm praying for you every week after I post that. I pray for you, God, help them turn from sin. Help them to be ready to hear. May they not and may I not quench the Holy Spirit and just strut in here and expect to hear a word from God. Are you guarding your steps? Can you imagine someone making their way toward the house of God in Jerusalem and biting his wife's head off? you imagine Christians who look at pornography on a Friday totally assuming they're going to hear from God on Sunday? We need to guard our steps. We need to be on guard. We need 
certain routines on Saturday night so that we're fully rested. We're not sleeping. We need to guard ourselves from distraction when we're here. It's so nice to be able to just load a Bible on a phone. And if you didn't bring your Bible, you can just look at your phone. The problem is Facebook's there and the, the email's there and your messages are there and the calendar's there too. I think it's best if you put away the phone and bring an actual Bible. I think it's best if you turn off the notifications. You do not actually need to jot down that note. Not now. You need to sit and you need to listen when you come to the house of God. Guard your mouth as you move toward God. Point number two comes from verses four through seven. We need not only to be slow to speak, we need to be quick to pay. Quick to pay. There is a saying in the military. I know this. I wasn't in the military. I, I've seen some good movies. I'm, under, I'm told that there is a saying in the military that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. It's a, it's, it's a way to train people. When you get into the the dangers of war. We don't want you to be panicked. So we want you, when you're not at war, to understand how to manipulate that weapon. To know what steps you need to do to, to load the, the bullets and all this stuff. Slow is smooth. Be careful. Be methodical. Go through the steps. We should be fast to hear God. We should be fast to obey God. We should also be fast to promise God and to vow to God, but in a slow is smooth and smooth is fast kind of way. What I mean is we make vows to God after we carefully think through all that we're doing and who it is we're promising to. So Hannah... In 1 Samuel, remember, said, God, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. And God did. And Hannah did. But then you've got Peter, who was rash in his vow. Who promised to Jesus. And when he promised, his mouth led him to sin. He said, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And then the text is careful to say, right after he made that vow, he made three more to different people. I promise, I do not even know who Jesus is. In baptism, we make a vow. We're vowing, teach me. Brothers and sisters in the church, teach me to obey everything the Lord wants from me. In our church covenant, we make a vow to to one another. We will work and pray for the unity of the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. And God hears our vows. Jesus heard Peter from afar. And after he denied him three times, he looked at him. And God hears every quick promise we make to obey Him. God hears every commitment we make to serve Him. 
those deals that people are used to making with him. I, I remember as a teenager making a deal with him. Lord, if you help me make this basketball team, then I won't be so upset when I get kicked out of the choir. If you'll give me this raise, then I will give more to the church. If you fix this problem in our marriage, then I will be more devoted to your people. Whatever excuses we make to people, look in verse 6. The messenger here is probably the priest in the temple who heard the vow and is now coming to collect the sacrifice's promise. And, and he says, don't, don't be the guy who says, oh, I just made a mistake. Whatever excuses we tell ourselves, whatever excuses we tell others, listen to verse 6 and how it ends. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands because you made a vow and you didn't keep it. End of verse 7. God is the one you must fear. Ecclesiastes gives us real truth for real life. And our passage says when it comes to worshiping God, be wise. You should fear judgment if you are going to proudly talk to Him when He's talking to you. Or you're thinking about other things when He's talking to you. Or you're listening to yourself talk when He's talking to you. The fool has been described in this second way in our passage. It's the one who angers God by making a promise and not paying. Friends, the truth that all the Scripture tells us is that you and I were born sinners and thus we are quick to speak and we are slow to obey. And that's what makes the Gospel of Jesus Christ just shocking and good. Listen to what the text says in 1 Peter 2. As you come to Jesus, it sounds a lot like our passage, when you come to God, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That is good news for everyone here. If you believe. Listen, God's word tells us there is a day coming when we will all face God. No matter how we have lived, we will go above the sun and be in God's presence. And at that point, his holiness will be known and every mouth will be stopped. Every excuse you give to someone else here about how you're good enough, every way that you compare yourself to someone else, every way that you think you've obeyed God, whenever he lays out his law in that moment, no one will have an argument. But Jesus tells a story. Two men who walk into the temple. And one of them is saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other guy over here who's unjust, who's, who's sinful. And then there's another one who comes in. A great sinner who stands far away from God, 
who will not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beats his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is one who struts in God's presence. The one who limped out of there, left there forgiven. Because the whole Bible is telling one story, and that story is that God, before He created this world, His Son made a vow. I will enter into earth and save sinners. And He kept His vow on a cross. And there were a bunch of religious people there who thought that they were serving God and they didn't even know what evil they were doing whenever they were crucifying God's own son. And and the Savior is so great that when he was being killed and mocked by the religious, he was crying out to God, forgive them. They're doing evil. They don't know what they do. Forgive them. And if you will turn to the Lord Jesus and turn away from your sins, He will forgive you too. Beloved, when you come to Jesus, you are coming to a living stone. You are coming to the house of God. He is the true temple. And when you come to Jesus, God Himself is coming near. He even lives inside of us. When you come to God in heaven, let your words be few. Let your obedience be fast. But believe this as well, that when you come to Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a holy priesthood, a house for God. And when you make sacrifices through Christ, they are acceptable to His Father. He is making us when we gather together, we come to Jesus together. He makes us together into God's house on earth. And he sees your imperfect service. And he sees how you listen and how you speak and how you mean well, but your service is kind of pitiful like mine is. And he sees your efforts to listen through distraction. And through Christ, he says, everything they do in my name, accept it. And God says, I will. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us a people who guard our mouths as we move toward you. We pray that you would cause this word to take deep root in our hearts, that the enemy would not come. Give all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't believe it, why we shouldn't obey it. Oh God, we pray that it would... be fruitful, and that we would honor you in our worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.